Welcome to a very special episode of Recruitment Journeys. Today we're talking about something that's been ever present in the recruitment industry since the beginning of time, and certainly since the beginning of my recruitment career. It's as much a part of the fixtures and fittings of our industry as coffee and compendiums, and that's booze. Seemingly, our industry can't seem to function without it, or can it? Well, today, seven recruiters come together who have a very different point of view. Collectively, we have 111 years of recruitment experience and 45 years of being on the wagon. And in this podcast today, very vulnerably, we're going to share with you why we don't drink, how we stopped, how we stay stopped, and how not drinking has positively affected our careers in recruitment. Massive thanks to the six recruiters who came on and spoke so bravely and openly in this podcast titled, Can You Really Work in the Recruitment Industry and Not Drink? So without further ado, really hope you enjoy this special episode of Recruitment Journeys. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and, uh, and, and welcome to Recruitment Journeys, the podcast series, a special episode, I dare add. How are you all? Very Good. well. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you. Collective, collective mumbling ensues. Um, hey, thank you so much for being involved in, in this um, I was thinking about this actually. I just went for my kind of pre-podcast caffeine kick, and um, I was thinking I'm quite excited to do this. I've been doing these podcasts for a couple of years, and um, don't usually get excited, but I am genuinely, authentically excited about this one um, today. We are going to talk about um, alcohol, booze, grog, and um, and the fact that it's quite prevalent and has been historically very very present in our industry of recruitment for many many years um an almost kind of staple diet something that the industry just seemingly can't exist without however we are seven people who are all experienced recruiters who don't drink uh for various reasons which we will uncover in this chat um and the podcast subject is do you really need to drink to work in recruitment or something like that but you get the gist uh, because we are all um, on the wagon recruiters who have made a decision not to drink, yet we still operate somewhat successfully, one would hope, in the recruitment industry. So the purpose of this podcast is to share our stories in the hope to motivate, inspire, educate anybody who might be struggling with alcohol or not struggling with alcohol or know somebody who's struggling with alcohol, whatever it might be. Um, tell our stories and just try and help um, bring to the surface something that, let's be honest, is often swept under the carpet, very taboo, and we all kind of try and ignore the problem. And uh, an open forum like this can only be a healthy thing. Um, so thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for being involved. Um, I'd like to introduce you all, or rather, I'd like you to introduce yourselves. Uh, we're going to go around in a circle so it doesn't become too chaotic. Um, I'll go first. Uh, because there's some kind of stats that I'd like you all to add uh, to your introduction. My name's Pete. Uh, I am an artois. I've been in the recruitment industry for 23 years, uh, and I have not had an alcoholic drink for almost nine years. Hannah. Hi, I am Hannah Roger. I work for Beaumont People in the not-for-profit sector. I have been in recruitment for a year, um, but sold technology into the recruitment industry for seven years before that. And I have been sober since October 2017, so just over three and a half years. 
DJ. Hello, my name is David Jackson, and I've been in recruitment for 23 years. I am the group managing director of the Ascore group of companies, and I stopped drinking the 5th of January last year, 2020. So what's that, about uh, 18 months? Played sailing so far, DJ? Haven't looked backwards, life-changing. Graham. Hey, thank you for um, bringing me into this. I'm very happy to be here. My name is Graham Selden. I'm the founder of a boutique recruitment firm called Selden Rosser. Um, I've been in recruitment for 22 years and I've not had a drink for 13 years, seven months and 29 days. And there's a reason I know that because I gave up on New Year's Day. Ooh. You're like you're like the poster boy, Graham. You're the, uh, you're the bloke who gets the trophy for the years yeah. on the wagon. Well done, Graham. Uh, right, what am I doing? I suppose I've got left to right. Kirsty. Hi, I'm Kirsty Keating. I run Sterling Engineering. I've been in recruitment for 23 years, so there must have been something happening that year when we all joined. Um, and I've been sober for just over four years. Amazing. Very happy. Bree. Hey, I'm Bree. I've been in recruitment for five years. I've actually just gone internal. Um, so sorry, but I am, I think I'm the same, roughly the same as you, DJ. I've, I got sober or booze free January, 2020. So I, however many months that is, a year and a half. Cool. Yeah. Sid. Hi everyone, I'm Sid. Um, I run a recruitment company called Cascade. I, uh, I've been a recruiter for, uh, for about six years and I've had a long distance relationship with, a very long distance relationship with alcohol for about 10 years. Okay, so I'm going to try and provide some context around that, that, uh, that very cool way that Sid just described his relationship with alcohol. Um, can I ask you all a question and it's kind of a hands up thing and I'll, I'll have to explain to the people who are listening to the podcast and not uh, watching. What would you categorize yourself as? Would you categorize yourself as somebody who had the foresight, the wisdom, the common sense to not drink as a healthy life choice? Or would you categorize yourself as somebody who ultimately, eventually, unfortunately, left themselves with little choice but to stop drinking for purposes of health, sanity, whatever it might be. So hands up for the first one. Who, who had the common sense, wisdom and foresight to just stop drinking for life-based health reasons? Me. David Jackson. Sid, that's you, mate. That's you. <laughs> David's trying to steal my thunder. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. D DJ and Sid. Well, no, I'd expired my nine lives, so maybe I am part two. But no, yeah, just it was, you know, healthy choice. Combination of the two. Okay. So that would mean Grain, Bree, Kirsty, Hannah and myself basically gave ourselves no choice, right? We ultimately had to stop drinking. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably use the term hot mess to describe my life before I stopped drinking. <laughs> and, and you know what? And, and Sid, Sid very kindly, uh, out of courtesy, called me yesterday and, uh, and, he, and he sounded ever so slightly awkward and cheap. And she said, mate, just looking forward to the podcast. You know, I'm really excited to be on board, but I'm not, I'm not sure I technically kind of qualify. 
um, because I've had like two half a glasses of champagne at, uh, at a wedding four years ago, something like that. And um, but I just want to make it perfectly clear that this is not about, um, yeah, this is not an AA meeting or anything like that. I, I, I welcome any point of view or any um, you know, angle as to why people have, have removed alcohol from their from their lives. So the reason for it is is almost irrelevant. Um, I'm happy to explore all angles. Um, right then, thank you very much, everybody, for your introductions. Um, let's get down to, the, I suppose, the nitty gritty and, and, and expand on the points we just made. Um, I'm keen to know ultimately why you chose to stop drinking. And uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go first. Uh, I, um, and I'll keep it brief because I know there's seven of us. I, I grew up in the north of England and, and I've used this joke before, so I'll use it again. But where I, where I grew up, all we did was um, play rugby, fight, drink alcohol and chase the opposite sex. And I wasn't any good, any good at any of them. Ha ha ha. Um, particularly, particularly the drinking part. Um, but we were, we were in pubs, me and my mates, at the age of, I first ventured into a pub when I was 13 years old. And, um, and I'm sure that's not exclusive to me. And, and, and alcohol remained ever present in my life to the age of 39. And ultimately, um, I, I, was, I was never any good at drinking. I was, I sucked at it. I was always the first person drunk in my group. I was always the person who woke up with horror stories the following day and cuts and bruises. And um, eventually, I'll fast forward however many years it is, but eventually I had, I had the common sense and wisdom to realize that uh, alcohol was a very, very negative thing in my life. And as a, as a dad, which was comfortably the most important role of my life, I knew if I was gonna be the best dad I could be, I simply had to remove it. Um, and that was, that was the reason why I decided to stop, stop drinking. I didn't stop drinking on the first day that my first child was born, but eventually the penny dropped and I stopped drinking. Hannah. Yeah, um, great story, Pete. And uh, that certainly resonates with me. Also being from the north of England, um, less rugby in my life, but um, lots of drinking alcohol, probably on a regular basis from the age of 15. Um, I emigrated to Australia in 2014. Um, originally, I came for a five-week holiday and I've never left, um, which I think is a fairly common expat story. Um, I got really, really heavily into drinking, probably in my early 20s, and that continued until I was 30. Um, on my 31st birthday, I woke up with a raging hangover from drinking three bottles of red wine um, and decided that was it. Um, I gave up because I just got sick of myself. I got sick of the hangovers. I got sick of disappointing myself and saying things that I didn't remember and being unreliable and just feeling like a bag of turds. <laughs> so pretty much reflects my story as well. Yeah, I, I think the reason I gave up, Pete, was because um, I'd struggled with alcohol for a long time and kept telling myself I had to give up. Um, and, uh, you know, I used to see the GP when you were sick or whatnot and used to say, oh, these fucking hangovers, you know, and he, all he'd say to me was, mate, you will give up when you're ready to give up. So you'd leave the GP going, oh, yeah, you know, time to give up. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, I just struggled with it for 10 years before last year, um, you know, in that time, uh, 
had motorbike accidents and, uh, uh, you know, speeding fines and, um, you know, arguments with people that you regret the next day, you know, similar to Hannah saying things and, you know, sending silly emails to employees and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, eventually just, um, well, it was quite, it was quite funny. I lost, well, not funny, sorry, but the, um, I lost my father and then three mates in quick succession. Um, and when I lost my father, um, I'd gone, fuck, I've got this pain in my back. I've had it there for a year. I'm going to go to the, and I was going overseas for my wife's birthday. I said, I'll go, go, go and get this uh, back issue checked up. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, came back and the doctors had said, oh, mate, you've got a swollen liver, um, you know, and I was like, great, got to stop drinking. Um, so stopped drinking and uh, swollen liver corrected all good and still got the back pain. I was like, oh, okay, great, you know. So I worked out that the back pain was actually broken cartilage from a motorbike accident I'd had two years before and the swollen liver wasn't really causing any pain and there's something like, you know, 70% of Australians actually do have a swollen liver. It's called fatty liver. It's the lifestyle we lead, not necessarily due to alcohol, mainly due to, um, you know, unrefined sugar or refined sugars and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting um, that I thought I was having a liver issue and I really wasn't, but uh, I gave up and I won't drink, you know, won't go back there again. Come on, come on, Brian. Um, the, uh, fascinating to hear other people's stories. I, I'm really interested in taking part, but also listening to what everybody else has to say. Um, for me, um, the, the moment I realised it, it was time to get out of the abusive relationship I was in with alcohol was I always prided myself on being funny and popular. Um, so I'm from the north of England too. And, um, you know, I, I always enjoyed being centre of attention. I always enjoyed being very quick to have the jokes. I always enjoyed being the person that people would like to be with. And uh, over a succession of months, very people who were very close to me started to tell me that I was a very um, unlikable person when I was drunk, um, that I was actually quite nasty and unpleasant to be with. And that was really confronting for somebody who takes, you know, sort of, I like being in the spotlight and I like being centre of attention. And to have people who I, who I love tell me that actually you're really not very nice when you're drunk was massively confronting. And I had tried several times before to give up drink. I had done the usual, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm a binge drinker. Therefore I can go for six weeks and not drink. That means I don't have a problem. But the reality was at that moment in time, and I woke up on New Year's morning with the worst hangover I think I'd, I've ever had. And the realization that we'd had, my husband and I had had a party and I had, gone to bed at eight o'clock in the evening because I was so drunk and I missed the whole of New Year's Eve. And I woke up on New Year's morning feeling just shit, not just healthily feeling shit, but just emotionally feeling really low. And the voice inside me said, you've got a decision to make, so get on with it. So I did. Very good, Graham. I often, uh, <clears throat> I often think to myself, thank God for the hangovers because um, I can still remember yeah. all of the hangovers. And that's, that's, that's a big motivator to, to never go back. Um, Kirsty. 
Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys, for such honest kind of <laughs> historical digging. Um, yeah, I can raise you a Northern England childhood and give you a Highland, Scottish Highland childhood filled with alcoholism and yeah. uh, binge drinking. I just thought I was Scottish. I just drank because I thought I was Scottish and that's how everybody around me drank to extreme. So I was a blackout drinker from age of 14 and, you know, I pulled it together most of the time on and off. Looked pretty sensible and normal, but I hit my 40s, um, like late 30s, 40s. And I suddenly started looking around and thinking, I don't think I want to be doing this when I'm 50. And, you know, the blackouts were coming quicker you know, albeit I was at home, so I wasn't out there getting as much dangerous, um, you know, into so many dangerous situations as I did maybe at university in my early 20s and late teens, um, you know, uh, and it just, yeah, it just started to get me really depressed looking ahead and thinking probably a bit of vanity. I didn't want to be the lady sitting in the pub at 50 with my fag and a glass of wine at two in the morning. <laughs> I was like, enough. Um, yeah, and the hangovers were getting worse and worse and they were lasting longer and longer and it was affecting so many more areas of my life and it just didn't look quite as fun and glamorous and that Ladette culture that I probably grew up in in the 90s um, was clearly not cool anymore. So, yeah, that was my story. Four years later, I'm, you know, fit and healthy and I'm just, we'd never go back. Sensational. Great. Um, so I was a fairly functioning party girl uh, that worked in the advertising industry for about seven years before I fell into recruitment in the advertising sector. So I think probably my relationship with recruitment was beneficial because for the first time I was given the flexibility and autonomy that I never had in advertising, which allowed me more freedom to drink, um, mostly at Ryan's Bar for you Sydney folk. Um, where that led me was it became a lot less social and I started becoming a lot more reclusive and that went on for a few years and I found that I was opting to drink rather than see people um, and the drinking probably became the most important thing to me so more important than my friends family work and when COVID hit I think I kind of had two options I either kept drinking knowing how dangerous it could get or I go cold turkey um which I did and uh it was I mean you know I'm sure you all know the benefits of not drinking but for my career and my priorities and my clarity and my decision making it was mm -hmm. like day and night mm -hmm. so yeah Brilliant. good work good. so I like like many people in the Western world, never actually made the choice to start drinking. And it's funny, isn't it, that in the Western world, it's so ingrained in our culture that it's a rite of passage and we never actually choose to do it. Um, so I lay through my 20s and, uh, you know, even kind of in, into my early 30s. And um, I guess my transition out of it was an organic, somewhat organic. Um, it happened over a period of... Um, months I would say but I'd always kind of question whether it was the right thing to do I never really you know liked the taste of alcohol uh, I never liked the effects of alcohol um, and I always wondered you know why I did it and I thought you know I'm just conforming I'm just this is this is is it is this really me but I, I went along with it you know because you had to because that's what society does to you it, it pulls you in and you don't want to be 
an outcast. Um, but the older I got, the more confident I got. And when I say older, I'm, you know, I'm talking kind of mid to late 20s. And the more confident I got to you know, question myself, is this the right thing to do? Um, and I, you know, that, that, that took a while. I continued that, that thought process. Um, and I, I suppose it would probably be a series of events. Um, so in my uh, early 30s, I was, I, I, I was coming out of a, a five-year marriage. Um, and it made me reflect even further upon who I was and, and, and the, the life that I wanted to live. Um, and, you know, call me a pussy, but I just didn't like the hangovers anymore. Uh, so that was really kind of weighing me down. And it was probably um, the one thing, if there was a, a straw that broke the camel's back, it was a holiday I was on um, where I I'd bought these, this new pair of trainers, uh, you know, white on white pure white trainers. I paid an arm and a leg for them. And I went out um, and I was in Rio for those who are interested. And uh, I, so I went out, you know, with dressed to the nines uh, with my mates. And I remember going out and I remember parts of the evening, but I don't remember coming back. Um, but the memory that stuck to me um, and hit, the, hit home the hardest was the state of my trainers when I looked at them in the morning or when I'd sobered up and they were a mess. They were absolutely ruined. Um, and I thought to myself, we've, we've, we've crossed the line now. Um, you know, we're, we're actually destroying, <laughs> you know, the, the, the fabric of me, you know, and I was very, fashion conscious and you know uh, I, I just that that was just too much to bear um, and I think I'd made that decision right this alcohol is not going to play a part in, in my life anymore and that was uh, about 10 years ago. I wasn't expecting that's it I wasn't expecting that part of your reasoning to stop drinking was because of you, 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 you train. I'll take it I'll take it now that's a very nice segue onto um <clears throat> A very brief interlude in this in this chat, and um, this this conversation is not about embarrassing ourselves or, or, or car crash TV or anything like that. But I would like to illustrate, if that's the right word, you know, some of the, the pickles that uh, you know being inebriated can get you into. Now, the, the the six of you don't need to partake in this, but if anybody's got a very short, succinct uh, anecdote that they now can look back on and shake their head and maybe even laugh at, um, which is work-related, feel free to share it. Um, because these are all the, I suppose, the, the, the pieces to the jigsaw puzzle that ultimately make us go, nah, enough is enough. But I'll tell you a quick one. When I started Mint Recruitment 17 years ago, um, I've been doing a lot of business with one particular large IT recruitment business. So when I started Mint, they said, we'd love to give you a leg up. We'd love to give you a, a retainer every month for, for 12 months. And this was £10,000 per month retainer for 12 months. Uh, 120 grand guaranteed, guaranteed income for, for a brand new business. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, I took it, obviously. I did a few, a few placements with that business in the, in the first few months of Mint Recruitment. And thinking I was kind of Richard Branson, Donald Trump, Rockefeller, I took them all to the pub and I put my credit card behind the bar and the whole, the whole company turned up um, and basically started smashing my credit card. <laughs> that's fine that's cool that was part of the plan um i just got swallowed up in the whole occasion and i got pretty drunk pretty quickly one of the senior sales directors came up to me said something about something i don't know it doesn't matter i took exception to what he said 
Uh, I thought he knew better, or sorry, I knew better. And very quickly, uh, the conversation just became chaos. And I, I basically told him he was an absolute fill the gap. Uh, thinking I was just, yeah, look, I, I, I'm, I'm the man. What does he know? And, uh, and he, he very quietly, discreetly finished his expensive glass of red wine and just kind of disappeared through the side door. And I carried on partying with the rest of the, the, the crew. Um, fast forward six or seven hours, I get home to my sofa, um, ramp up the BlackBerry, and I turn on my BlackBerry to find an email from that sales director, which he has sent to the whole company. And this is like 200 people in this IT recruitment business saying, from this moment onwards, nobody ever will speak to Pete Watson from Mint, Recru Mint Recruitment again. We will not do business with him and nobody will take his calls. Um, I, since, I, I, I learned afterwards that he had purposefully waited till about 12 o'clock at night before he sent the email, just to make sure that my credit card got as smashed as possible uh, before he sent out the email. And that email uh, and my drunkenness um, essentially cost me about 120K sterling in the, in the first year of my recruitment business. And that's, um, and that's by far not the worst story I have, but just a little anecdote. <laughs> if anybody else has anything to share about the evils of alcohol, drop it I've, in. I've got one, but it's not as, I mean, I've got, I've got a story like that, but I'm not telling it. Um, I, I, I've got a story which is about missed opportunity, which is the, the, the New Year's morning I, I um, gave up alcohol was, was, was followed the Christmas party where I took my team of consultants to Donovan's, which is a really nice restaurant in Melbourne on the seafront. And, you know, December in, in Australia is summer. And I took my entire team to Donovan's and we were gonna have the best night. And it was for me to reward them for all of the work that they'd done for my business. Um, and subsequently um, after first course, then spent the rest of the night at other diners tables, regaling them with how fabulous I was and how, you know, how, how marvelous it was that they were in Donovan's the same night as me. So I didn't spend any time with my team at all. And they had, my team had to take me home in a taxi because I was so drunk and they were worried about my safety. So the Christmas party to reward my team, I wasn't oh. actually there for most of it. And how disappointing is that? So that's one of the things that led me to giving up alcohol. Anybody else? Yeah, I've got, I've got one. I mean, I've got, honestly, I've got hundreds of them, but a lot of them are really kind of not safe for work, probably shouldn't swear too much and, you know, talk about nudity or, you know, any of those topics. But um, I was um, working for a supplier to the recruitment industry and um, went to the annual conference every year, um, the RCSA conference, which I'm sure many of you have been to. I know I've um, certainly met a few people on this screen there. Um, and it was 2016, we were in Port Douglas and um, the company I was with, we all stayed in a big house and that was a kind of party house. And on one of the nights of the conference, and I can't even remember which one, it was either the first or the second night, um, I ended up, up getting so drunk, don't remember getting home, um, don't remember jumping into the pool with a load of clients at two in the morning with no top on. Um, then didn't turn up to the conference the next day, didn't wake up until about, I don't know, midday, one o'clock in the afternoon, woke up kind of in my bedraggled wet clothes um, which was ideal, um, and then had to kind of grovel and explain myself and, you know, was 
pretty ashamed of that. <laughs> um, that was about a year before I stopped drinking, but that was really the turning point where I thought, this isn't working for me anymore. And alcohol has complete control over me and not the other way around. I think the, uh, the, stories, the stories are different, right? Everybody has a different story. However, the one common denominator is the, uh, is the shame, the shame, embarrassment and remorse the following morning. That's, that's the bit. Yeah, yeah it, it, if it isn't bad enough that you've gone out and done all these crazy things, you then bang the nail in the coffin by feeling the way you feel. And I, I think that the shame isn't something that leaves you when the hangover leaves either. It's something that just comes back in waves and waves and then you see those people again and it comes back and you desperately try and justify why you don't have a problem or everybody else is drinking like you, so it's okay. But the shame eats you alive, man. Eats yeah. you alive. Cool. Well, look, going back to the, to the whole theme of the podcast, thank you very much for everybody's honesty there. Um, going back to the theme of the, the podcast, you, you know, it's, we're, we're focusing on the fact that Alcohol uh, is, is, is very, very uh, prevalent in our industry, as it, as it is in, in a lot of industries. Now, Brie, you, work, you mentioned you worked in the advertising industry, and I'm sure it was as bad in the advertising industry. But we do, as an industry, we have a problem with it. Um, and thankfully, more and more people, thankfully, the younger people are starting to, you know, put, put, put the bottle and the wine down. Um, but I'm keen to know, I suppose, your own experience of, pressure that you might have felt uh, to drink as a recruiter. So can you, can you briefly, briefly touch on that? I keep using the word briefly because I'm very aware that there's seven of us here and, uh, and you know, we, we can't be talking for six hours. But Hannah, can you, uh, can you tell us as a recruiter, have you ever felt profound pressure to, to drink? Um, look, I am probably a little different to um, everybody else in this group. Um, I was already sober when I went into recruitment. Um, and I am extremely lucky to work for a company who are completely um, not just accepting of my sobriety, but are accepting of, of everybody. So I've never really felt that pressure. Um, we have had Friday afternoon drinks when everybody was in the office, but I've never been you know, asked to drink. Um, there've always been soft drink options um, and you know, everybody just knows that I don't drink. So um, I've been very lucky in that respect. Um, I mean, that's partly why I chose to work for this company. Um, but in all of my previous jobs, I would say being a hard drinker was a prerequisite of having the job. But, 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 but a reason to hear that there are progressive recruitment businesses out there that uh, acknowledge that not everybody wants to have a drink. DJ, in your long and illustrious recruitment career, have you ever felt pressure to drink as a recruiter? Yeah, I don't think uh, I've ever felt pressured. I just think it's, it's part of the culture. Um, but, you know, having given up in the last year and a half, um, you know, uh, just noticing that everything's about either a celebration and that's about, you know, cracking up a beer or cracking up a champagne or wine, you know, if it's a birthday or if it's a, a good deal or a good month or celebrating end of quarter things. So, you know, I've worked hard with our GMs to make sure that we were doing events and activities that didn't revolve around alcohol. Um, so, you know, um, I don't think the, pre I don't think it's pressure. I'm, I'm not sure you could use the word pressure. I just think it's ingrained yeah. in all sorts of, all sorts of 
industries and re recruitment especially and we're in sales and it's ingrained in that celebration thing you know so um as i said you know we've been working ways around celebrating without alcohol and um and uh you know it's it's been it's been good yeah, great. I, I I agree. I agree with David. I, I mean, I think that there is there are more opportunities to um, to drink um, and feel validated by being a drinker in in a sales high pressure sales environment. I, it took me a very long time having having not drank. So it took me about five or six years of not drinking to realize that it wasn't so much that there was pressure in my job to drink, but there was permission in my job to drink. And when I turned that around in my head and, and when actually I've now been in recruitment for 13 years without drinking and I've been successful um, and there are other recruiters who are successful who don't drink. So the reality is it's, it's yes, there are lots of opportunities to drink and be rewarded for drinking in our culture but there are also as many rewards for not drinking i think it's just about taking ownership of the issue yourself and not relying on it's an industry thing to which i did for a very long time you know well i have to drink because if i'm taking a candidate out and they just had a new i've just got them a job it would be rude for me not to have a glass of champagne or a bottle of champagne you know etc etc so it's a fine line i think between permission and um pressure Kirsty. Yeah, hi. I um, think it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. I think recruitment actually sort of attracts people who like to drink. It's that highs and lows, champagne and razor blades. You know, we've got that. We like the adrenaline rush. So, you know, alcohol feeds that. Uh, mm. So I do think there's a little bit of, you know, we're attracted to that environment. Mm. Mm. You know, I always felt pressure to drink. You know, I remember going out with one of my directors, not my current directors, but um, previous ones, and there, it was shot straight away and there was no question. It was just, you know, she ended up in a shopping trolley at the Sydney Opera House and her husband was on a boat and went, oh, there's my wife, you know, totally normal. Um, you know, I've fallen out of cab. Uh, you know, I work for Office Angels in the UK, drink, big drinking culture, always felt that pressure. Um, but I'm really fortunate that I've managed to wiggle my way into a position where I've started to surround myself with people who, if you want to be successful, I do think not drinking just gives you extra, gives you that extra something, you know, it makes you sharper. So I found that the more mature I've got in my career, I'm more drawn to those type of people. And therefore now, you know, the situation I'm in where I run my own business, I don't have to put up, I can set the culture and the culture is basically just me right now. And I go, I don't drink you know but the previous job I was in um I was there in my first week they were talking about drinking and I sort of said um yeah I don't drink well it was like meerkats they all popped their heads up and looked around and were like oh, and they just didn't know what to do with me you know because it was such and this was a company that had quite a strong like health promotions pitch but mm -hmm. it was the furious drinking culture embedded from the directors down. So, you know, I think it's a bit of both, you know, but if you want to get sober, you've got to just take personal responsibility and tread the hard path, you know? Yeah. Brie, have you ever felt pressure to drink as a recruiter? Um, in the recruitment agency that I worked in for five years, there was definitely booze, but it wasn't like a hardcore drinking scene. Um, but because I was a hardcore drinker, I kind of created the scene myself and then expanded on that scene by, 
you know, going out with suppliers like Hannah um, and um, my now partner, who's also sober, who was a supplier at the time. So it was the, it wasn't so much that there was pressure, there was an opportunity um, because of the freedom that came and the highs and the lows and the anxiety and it was that mad rush and you convince yourself that you deserve it and that you've earned it. But what I realised, because I was still recruiting when I got sober, what I realised was how ineffective I was um, while I was drinking and rewarding myself um, to the point where and I could run the stats because I we obviously have data for that. But um, I'd say I was probably four times more productive when as immediately when I stopped drinking. And I knew I could tell the difference because I'd often have like, you know, a day during the week where I wasn't hungover, you know, and I would just do like a week's worth of work in that day and then reward myself for the rest of the week. <laughs> so it was a... Uh, um, the pressure was probably, I was probably the one pressuring everyone, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Good. Yeah, well, okay. Thank you for your honesty. So, Sid, you must, Sid, you must be listening to this and going, thank God I made that. Thank God I messed my trainers up that night because I've avoided all of this. Um, but you, you as a, you, you a on-the-wagon recruiter uh, for, for most of your career working in corporate land as you did, did you, did you ever feel pressure to, to drink as a recruiter? Yeah, absolutely. I think the pressure is always there. Um, you know, the question I get asked most often in social situations is, why don't you drink? Um, and that, you know, really uh, reflects uh, the, 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 the part that alcohol plays in our society. And it's a collective, you know, it's a collective societal pressure is that you're expected to, to, to drink. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately, it's up to you whether you yield to that pressure or not. I mean, it's pressure if you take it on, um, but it's the other side of the coin, right? Where you're resisting, where you're going against the grain, there'll always be pressure uh, for you, that that will push you back. Um, but whether you feel that or whether you choose that, to choose to take that on is is your choice. Uh, and I think you know, really, the message is that um, follow your own light um, because there, there, there's there's always a different way, uh, and it's got to be your way. Absolutely. And just in closing on this particular point, uh, and I realize I'm going back quite a few years, but when I started out in recruitment, um, Thursday nights were the night that we were obligated to go out and drink and drink heavily. And, uh, and I was terrified that I was going to make a fool of myself because you know, I just knew I wasn't very good at drinking, but I knew that I would drink. And uh, so I tried to get out of Thursday night drinking many times. And, and, it, and the, the fear, the expectation was so great that people used to go out and drink on Thursday night and then go back to the office and sleep in the office um, because, they, because they were terrified of, of missing work on Friday morning. So you'd, work, you'd walk into the office on Friday morning and you would just see feet sticking out from the desks all around the office. Um, anyway, I said to my, my director, so look, I, I don't think me going out on a Thursday night is, is a good idea. And he took me aside and he said, look, if you don't go out on a, on a Thursday night, it's, 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 it's a career choice that you're making um, and, and not a good career choice. Um, I realized that was many years ago and things have hopefully changed, but yeah, I think there are still businesses like that where a little bit of that still exists. Hey, just want to break away from the chat just for one minute to bring you a quick message from our sponsor. Recruitment Journeys is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the recruitment operating system for recruitment and staffing agencies worldwide. 
Vincere is a single tech platform that streamlines the front, middle, and back office of exec search, perm, contract, and temp business. You can learn more about Vincere on my exclusive interview with their CEO and founder on season two, episode 14 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM and give your recruiters a new modern OS, visit vincere.io slash mint for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Now back to the chat. Okay, cool. Let's talk about how we um, how we kind of break the back of this thing and, and, and how we stop. Um, Sid, you you might be kind kind of excluded from this because you've sort of you've sort of answered the questions yourself, but you know, feel free to chip in. But I'm curious to find out how each of us kind of eventually stopped eventually stopped. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go first. I was, uh, I was a cliche. <clears throat> I, I tried to drink in moderation. It didn't really work. Didn't change anything. I, 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 uh, counseling, I even tried hypnotherapy. Um, I tried all kinds of weird and wacky things. Ultimately, ultimately, um, with, with, with the assistance of people in my, in my group, I kind of stumbled across, including my next door neighbor, uh, I, I, it was good old-fashioned willpower, um, which was probably not the healthiest way to do it because I probably put myself through a whole load of, of angst and, uh, you know, private doom and gloom. Um, but ultimately, yeah, got through that period um, on my own, white, white, white knuckle ride. And it probably wasn't the, the easiest or the best way to do it, but it, so I did it and that was almost nine years ago. Um, yourself, Hannah? Similar story, and I think um, going back to the point on shame, I think um, I knew that I needed to remove alcohol from my life, but I was too ashamed to tell anybody about it um, because everybody I knew was a drinker, um, including my husband. So the first time that I tried to stop, I didn't tell him that I wasn't drinking. So when he offered me a beer on Friday night, I just said yes. And I hadn't drank all week, and that was the first time in as long as I could remember that I hadn't drank for a week, but I didn't want to tell him that I wanted to stop because I was scared of how our relationship would be and how our lives would look without me being a drinker. Um, so after lots of false starts, I started to build up a sober toolkit um, of, you know, of, of ways that I could protect myself from situations where I might want to drink. Um, the most obvious one that didn't occur to me for a long time, which is kind of laughable, was to remove myself from the pub with the people that I used to drink with. Um, so when I first got sober, I would go to the pub and I would drink lime and sodas. And after the third lime and soda, I would be so sick of watching everybody have a lovely time with their wines and their beers that I would order a wine. Or I'd go home and I'd, like you said, I'd be white knuckling it and I'd hate myself. Um, I also tried counselling and the first counsellor I saw, I just remember not liking her and um, then going home and drinking as soon as I'd had my counselling session and lying to her about, about my drinking. So that was like really good use of my money and time. Um, but eventually, um, after kind of nine to 12 months, I, I kind of had enough resources internally um, to be able to, to make the change. And I set myself a 90 day challenge. I think I knew in the back of my mind it was gonna be a longer term thing than that, but 90 days felt achievable, whereas forever um, yeah, felt, felt too much. 
Um, so I started exercising. I'd take myself for walks. I'd go to bed early um, when I got cravings, um, make myself green smoothies. Um, quite often would eat an entire bag of Haribo in one go because sometimes, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, but it was really, it, it was a process. Um, and I think for anybody who is considering stopping that doesn't know how, um, I think you've got to be really gentle on yourself because if you've had a lifelong habit that's so ingrained in your brain that, I mean, I was coming home from work and just opening the fridge. Like long after I stopped drinking, I was opening the fridge looking for the wine just because that's what I was used to doing. Um, yeah, just go gentle on yourself because if you've, you know, if it's taken you 20 years to get to where you are, even if it's only taken you 10 years, you know, you, you're not going to be able to retrain your brain in a week. It's going to take time. Yeah, funny you mentioned 20 years. So I tried to stop drinking about 19 years ago and I went to, yeah, went to a counsellor and they taught you some really good things there about creating a diary and writing it down, analysing how much you're spending and everything. I did that for a while and I think, you know, that got me down to drinking a few days a week and lots of days off. Um, you know, fast forward from the, that was 19 years ago, go to, um, you know, about a year before I met my wife, which was, say, 11 years ago. So I struggled for the first seven years trying to give up. So 11 years ago, I went, oh, fuck this. I'll just go to go to the doctor and get that drug that stops you drinking. Mm-hmm. So I started taking naltrexone back then. Um which is a drug they develop for heroin addicts, which helps you cut the endorphin rush out. So when you start drinking, it's great. You can just, you can, you can drink alcohol, but you don't get the buzz and you don't get the, oh, I need more, I need more. So I did that. And then I met my wife and she told me, you don't have a drinking problem, you're fine. I'm like, yeah, I know, because I'm taking these tablets. And she's like, no, you don't need to take these tablets, do you? And I was like, okay, cool, I don't. And then, so that was 10 years ago or 11 years ago. Um, and then I, I struggled again you know with the whole fucking binge drinking and you know bad hangovers um and it really got to me till you know back in 2019 when dad passed away and all the three mates passed away and then I went no fuck this I've got to give up so yeah look the, the real crux is willpower and exactly what the GP told me from 20 years you'll give up when you're ready but I'm just going to read a list of things Pete that I've got here because I've been in a when I gave up last year one of the things that helped me was being in uh, some online groups that where people were talking about alcohol and non-alcoholic drinks and things like that and I just plastered out all these things these comments on there and then my inbox just got bombarded by all these people on this group like literally spent me two or three days trying to reply to all these people with these you know about my tips and everything so you know first tip I've got is you've got to keep a diary um, of your wet and dry days and color them in visually and, and constantly do that each day and then the day that you don't drink, save the money that you would have calculated that you were drinking. And so I calculated I was about 100 bucks a day. If I drank alcohol, I would spend 100 bucks a day. So that takes into effect cabs, food, you know, cigarettes, gambling, everything, right? So I was about 100 bucks a day. Um, and, you know, that's adding up now, you know. Just think about that. It's like, you know, $36,500 a year I'm saving at the moment, which is awesome. So, you know, work out a figure and put that in a separate bank account and don't touch it and watch it grow. Um, third thing is get a text buddy. So I had a text buddy for the first 90 days, which was absolutely awesome. Um, you know, someone who's either been there or who's doing it with you and you can communicate. 
The fourth thing is, is complete the alcohol experiment. It's free, it's online, it's a 30 day program and it's sensational. Um, and then start the one year no beer 90 day program. Um, because once you kick the subconscious mind and tame the cravings, you'll be home free basically. Um, the fifth thing is read every single word of a book called Alcohol Lied to Me um, and read it twice. And, you know, um, when I told my mum about it, she's like, you should have known all that stuff, Dave. What are you talking about? Didn't you know alcohol is a poison? Didn't you know this? That? And I was like, well, fuck no, mum. I didn't really know all of that stuff. But yes, I should have. Um, find a replacement drink for alcohol free. So I can go out anytime with anyone anywhere and drink because of alcohol free beer it's been a, a, a lifesaver for me absolute lifesaver mm -hmm. and i've got mates that ring me and go you know how you're doing just this month right because it's dry july you know how you're doing this alcohol free thing do you when you drink alcohol free do you sort of after a couple you feel like you're a bit yes mate it's called a placebo effect and you feel a bit pissed don't you but you're not really pissed so you know the alcohol free can help you with a placebo effect as well um so number seven, so that was six, replacement drink. Number seven, so with all the extra time you've got because you're not drinking, um, find something to do with it, right? So I started a new business. Some people will get a hobby, um, you know, but just find something you can say, fuck, look what I've done. I've created this because I don't drink alcohol anymore and look what I've done, right? And then you'll, you'll feel a lot better within yourself. Start exercising. So you need to do, um, you need to replace the endorphins that you were normally getting from booze. So you need to do exercise, something which I haven't started doing yet, but I will start doing. <laughs> um, and 10th thing was download the app I Am Sober and celebrate every day with it. It's just another one of these constant reminders and it can track your um, consumption. It can track your, what, how much you're saving and everything like that. Um, so, yeah, that was my 10, top 10 tips. <clears throat> Some very good practical tips there. Yeah. Saying to Hannah yesterday, I spoke to Hannah briefly. I've, uh, like an idiot, I've had my car towed uh, a couple of times in the last few months, and I've spent the best part of a thousand dollars on on towing fines. And the first thing I thought of as I was, as I was driving home, angry with myself, having spent a thousand dollars unnecessarily, I just thought, well, who cares? I would have spent more than that on on, on alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I was just justifying it. Um, thank you for that, mate. Graham, how did you eventually stop drinking? Um, I, I was lucky um, in a sense that um, I, so having decided on New Year's morning that I wasn't, I was going to give up drinking, I did not make the decision to give up drinking forever because that at the time was just way too big for me to even contemplate. Um, so I decided I would go to a naturopath um, because I knew that from previous experience, if you go to a naturopath, you can't drink for eight weeks because you have to drink celery juice. So I was like, I'll go and see a naturopath. So I found a naturopath in my local suburb and I went to see her and um, her name was Irma. She was amazing. And she said to me, why are you here? And I said, I want to do the you know, eight weeks of not, no drinking. And she said, why? And I said, because I drink too much. And I know that if I do your course, I won't be able to drink for eight weeks. And she said, well, I'm actually a trained addiction counsellor. So would you prefer that instead of us doing the naturopathy celery juice route, we just do counselling sessions around alcohol addiction? And I'd never done that before. And I thought, well, that sounds trendy. So yeah, I'll sign up for the eight week alcohol addiction course with you as a one on one. And over the eight weeks, she got me to realize, and it was a very, it was a massive moment in my life. She, she asked me a question during one of my last sessions with her. She said to me, can you tell me about the abusive relationships you have in your life? 
And I couldn't think of any. I mean, I've been with my husband since I was 15 years old. He, we're the same age, by the way. I know that sounds weird. Um, we, um, I, I've got a lovely family. I've got great friends. Um, I had never been in a relationship that was abusive. And she said, you know, your relationship with alcohol is abusive. And so she said, would you, would you tolerate it if it was somebody in your life? And I said, well, no, if somebody was abusive to me in my life, I'd tell them to take, take one and I'd never speak to them again. And she said, well, this is your relationship with alcohol. You are in a very abusive relationship and you can choose to stay in an abusive relationship or you can choose to take the high moral ground and walk away from that relationship. And I think for me, it was about seeing alcohol for what it was, which was, it wasn't my friend. It wasn't there to reward me. It wasn't actually celebratory. It was actually a relationship that was very abusive and was potentially gonna harm my other relationships. And with that narrative, I was able to sort of go, right, I'm stronger than this. I'm not gonna do it. And I gave myself a year and then because I'm um, quite competitive, I think all recruiters are competitive. When it got to a year, I was like, well, what, what is the reason to have that first drink? Like, you know, what big occasion would it be? And I had a 40th birthday and I didn't drink. I'd given myself permission to drink, but when it came to it, I thought, no, 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 I can do this. And after I got through my 40th birthday, I thought, well, actually there will never be an occasion as big as a big birthday like that so I actually never have to drink ever again and that's how I've got through the last 13 years. Mm, sensational. Right. Kirsty, how did you quit? Yeah look, amazing stories from everyone and such diversity as well and I think that just plays into it that you got to find the way that works for you. I tried so many times I tried the green juice diet I tried hot yoga I tried meditation, I tried, um, you know, hello Sunday morning, one year no beer. And I don't believe any of those processes were absolutely wasted. They were like building blocks to getting me sober. You know, I was testing the waters, trying other things, and then putting them all together. I, you know, find the solution that works for me and it's a 12-step program. That's how it works for me. But on top of that, I listen to podcasts, I read books like The Naked Truth by Annie Grace is an amazing book. Yeah. Just figuring out that alcohol is an addictive substance. Like that was mind-boggling for me. Took away a lot of the shame as well. You know that this idea that if you continue to drink alcohol, you could become addicted to it. <laughs> Nobody but tells it the you that. The process that actually allowed you to stop yeah, if you hadn't yeah, started the, that, you wouldn't have stopped. I, I don't think so, no. I don't think mm. being accountable to a group of people and having that huge amount of love and support and seeing other people regularly much further yes. ahead, like 10 yeah. years sober, I, I just didn't even know those people existed because yeah. like, I never saw them. Uh, four years. Hey, great. That's excellent. Yeah, and you still I just, go to 12-step program? Yeah, yeah, I go on Zoom and I've got a local group. I'm very fortunate I'm in the eastern suburbs, so there's lots. But my friend gave me good <laughs> advice because she, um, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of us, a lot of there's Irish no... and Scottish, funnily yeah. enough. Um, but she gave me really good advice. It's a bit like um, being Goldilocks. You know, go to a group that you like. Don't assume the first one you go to isn't going to work for you. And I think it's the same with thing with drinking. Don't assume the first thing that you try if it doesn't work, won't work for yeah, you, you know? Yeah, so if yeah. hypnotism doesn't work, just keep trying something else and yeah. then cobble it all together. Yeah, exactly. Because it's life-saving. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Mix of everything for sure. Bree, how did you, uh, how did you finally knock it on the head? 
Oh, you're on mute. You're on mute, Bray. You're on mute. Okay, I'm back. This go. is going to sound really millennial, but it was. It started with an app. Um, it's it's called I Am Sober. And look, I, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I had to get into a pretty dark place to finally decide that I was going to stop. And I was dancing around it for probably about a, two years before I finally made the call. And I think COVID, the lockdown really helped because it removed the option of going to bars or... Yes. Um, so it, I, I was a little bit lucky to slip into that. I'm going to quit drinking. Oh, we've gone into a global lockdown. Yeah. So um, for anyone... And then everyone who, used the other excuse to drink more. I'm like, I, I don't understand why everyone's saying to me, mate, how did you do it? I'm like, it was easy. It was, yeah. It was, everything was sharp. Yeah, totally. And it gave me something to focus on as well. So there was two things I did. I downloaded an app. It's called I Am Sober. And similar to you, DJ, um, I have now today saved $27,350, according to my app. And I've saved awesome. 2,735 hours by not drinking. Um, and that's a year and six months. And then you can actually jump in and talk to other people all over the world that have got the same amount of sober time up as you. Um, and you can form friendships and groups with these people through an app. It's all anonymous. Um, it's a yeah, very um, Gen Y thing to do. The other thing I did was quit lit. This is going to sound a bit insane, but I read mm. 32 sobriety books in my first six months um, of not drinking. And I just plowed through them and it gave mm. me a place to explore on my own um, and hear other people's stories. And um, I dabbled with AA a little bit, but I found it a little bit too confronting for me. I had become a solo drinker, so I wanted to do it on my own as well. Um, don't know if it's a sort of, I guess, a generational thing as well, maybe. I'm not sure, but I felt there was a lot of more grown-ups um, and older men at AA that I just couldn't really relate to. So this gave me a way to explore and meet other people my age um, and do it in a safe space that was also during a lockdown. So yeah, mm. Quitlet and an app. Interesting with the Quitlet. Like I bought six books, I think, as I said. Oh, I didn't say it before, but I bought six books. I only needed to read one. I still haven't read the other five. I just had to oh. read The Alcohol Lied to Me. I read oh. it twice and then I was like, I've got all these other books here. I was, Am I going to read it? I, was like, I didn't need to. But but uh, my quitlet, was... my quitlet probably came in the groups that I was that I was part of, and hearing the stories from other people. Yeah. Right? I got a bit weird. Thirty-two books. Thirty-two. Yeah. Sensational. Yeah. Sensational. You need to write your 20... own now. Huh? I reckon you I wrote about twenty quitlet books. Oh, you did too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. After this, uh, after this podcast has ended, would you all mind sending me links to the to the best books that you've read, the best apps that you've used? Whatever, whatever tools you've leaned on, and then I will include them in the, um, the, the promotion of this podcast. Uh, I think that'd be very, very useful. Sid, you've told us how you stopped drinking, but would you mind sharing how you keep stopped drinking, if that's good grammar? Um, gosh, I, I think I'm fortunate enough to have a, an extreme personality. So once I, I choose a path, I stay on it um, most of the time. So... I think it's really, um, if, if I can offer anything, I mean, you know, the, the people, my esteemed uh, colleagues here have uh, offered some, some great advice and great tips. I, I would, you know, I don't know, I just try and stay true to myself. I mean, I'm not, you know, I've never, you know, I don't say that I'll never drink, um, you know, and I do, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, I often say, 
you know, funerals, weddings and bar mitzvahs. And fortunately, I don't go to many of those. So I don't find myself in situations where I need to drink. But, you know, I, I keep, keep, keep your mind open, you know, if, uh, if, if you choose to, to follow a different path, that's fine. But, you know, just stay true to yourself. And if, um, you know, you're sure it sits well with you. Um, and, and if you're anyone listening who's looking for ideas as to how, uh, how they can drink less or how they can quit drinking, um, it's really about knowing who you are um, and knowing why you want to do it and then finding the best way for you to be able to do it. I mean, for me, it's, it was, you know, it was very much a mental process the actual doing was, was, was more mental than physical. So that, you know, once I got to that stage where I decided it was just a question of, I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, but I'd gone through the, the equivalent of a physical process mentally in my, in my head, um, you know, why I didn't want to do it and whether it was serving me or not. And, you know, obviously it wasn't serving me. So um, once I, once the penny dropped, it, you know, it just didn't make sense. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. So you know that that was the end of the the end of the chapter for me um, but you know i guess what i'm trying to say is everything works for someone so there's a different way for everyone just got to find your way and um mm. and and yeah stay committed to to what you want to do and follow your light again okay. amazing sorry pete can i just add to what sid just said because i really really resonate with that and something that was really helpful for me and um yeah very similar to what you've just said is um it wasn't asking myself the question, was it bad enough? You know, is my drinking bad enough? Am I an alcoholic? Do I have a problem? It's, is the life that I'm living now good enough? And is this a life that I would want to pass on? Is this a life that I want to share with my children, with my family, with my friends? You know, is, is it serving me? Mm. And that answer was always no. Mm. Yeah. Until and, I stopped. And, and Pete, to follow on from Sid, like Sid said, you know, you got to find what suits you. Well, you know, it took me 19 years from the first time I reached out. And I admitted, like, I've been admitted the last 20 years or longer that I've got a problem with alcohol, probably since I was a kid, probably since I left school. I was at 30 years. So, um, but my, like, the 10 steps that I did to actually nail it, I think if I didn't do every single one of those, and I've got mates that have now stopped drinking, they've been briefed on these 10 steps, you know, they may or may not be doing every single step of those 10 steps, the 10 processes, but um, yeah. So what, you know, what I was trying to say is if someone showed me those 10 steps 19 years ago and I did all of those 10, 19 years ago, you know, oh, what, what could have happened, right? As opposed to, you know, oh, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this. And I was piecemealing trying to do things for 19 years to give up the dreaded poison right but you know uh, yeah there wasn't i just didn't have all those toolkit all those things in my toolkit we've talked about it everyone's talked about it today having all those things in your toolkit it wasn't until all those things came together and i just went far out i'm going to do all of these things with the with the mind with the power of the mind of course as well um that it came across so if anyone's listening to this and wants to give up the alcohol i think there's a, a strong point to note is um it's i don't think there's any one thing that can do it i don't think I, I think you've got to go and do all of these things put them all together like and even as, as silly as they sound like you know filling in the diary you know writing on the calendar and 
um, you know, reading the quickly, silly, silly as some of them sound, I, I just think you need to try it and you got to do, you know, and, and, I, and you break that cycle. Um, and once you break the cycle, you can stop some of those things. I mean, I still fill in the piece of paper. I still save the money. Um, I'm still part of some non-alcoholic groups. Um, David, David, when you, uh, I assume that you've got this list uh, in, immaculately written down somewhere. Would you be kind enough to, to email it yeah. to yeah, 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 I can send it to you. Yeah, it's just a... yeah and just, um, I would just add that there's this perception when you first stop drinking and you go, oh God, I've got to put all this effort in and do all this. The amount of time you waste drinking and hangover and buying crap yeah. on the internet or eating burgers or whatever it is, bacon and egg sandwiches the next day and missing out on deals, it pales in comparison. Like mm. you spend hours and days and weeks on that shit. When yeah. you could be like reading a good book or, you know, about yeah. someone who's quit or like meditating or something like you have this perception of that, like loss, but you're not losing anything. That's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful segue into our final point, Kirsty. We kind of, um, we've, we've been jabbering on for, for quite a while and uh, I don't want to lose the, uh, the captive audience. So I'm going to kind of roll the last two questions into, into one, if I may. Um, I'd love you all to, um, in conclusion, just um, talk briefly on how not having alcohol in your life has impacted and, and, and improved your career. Um, not so much your uh, personal life, because we're gonna assume that uh, yeah, everybody's personal lives have, in, have improved hugely by not drinking, but how has not drinking improved your, your career or your business? And then before you kind of pass the baton on to the next person, can you say, in conclusion, what message you have to, to anybody out there who might be thinking, you know what, I need to do something about alcohol in my life. And uh, what message would you have to them? Not necessarily advice, but what message would you have to them? So how has how alcohol uh, not being in your life improved your career? And what message do you have? Over to you, Hannah. Okay, awesome. So how has it improved my career? Well, um, I'd say firstly that it's given me the confidence to decide what I wanted to do in my career. Um, so I have skirted around the recruitment industry for a long time and I chose to go into the recruitment industry um, and become a recruitment consultant. And that was something that I was scared of doing um, and that I didn't think I would be able to do. But having been sober for a, you know, for a couple of years when I did that, I had the clarity and the confidence to know that I could make a career change and I could make a success of it. Um, and I think, and I, and I say this a lot, you know, sobriety is my superpower. Sobriety really um, has allowed me to play big in every aspect of my life. Um, so if you, you know, if, you, if you're somebody who thinks that you, that you can't do it, um, the, the sense of achievement that you get from being sober for a period of time is just, it's the best thing ever. Um, you know, I, you know, a lot of people say, you know, if you want something done, ask, you know, ask a busy mum to do it. Ask a bloody sober person because mm -hmm. sober people are the most resilient people you will ever meet. You know, you need a ton of resilience to be in recruitment. It's a roller coaster at the moment. You know, the market is just crazy. Um, but, the, you know, the market's always crazy. Um, if you want resilience you know, try stopping doing something that's so ingrained in our society that people constantly ask you why you don't do it. Mm. Um, okay, to, to my turn or not? Um, so, sorry, there was a second question, wasn't there? There was. What message would you give to anybody out there who's 
who's on this. Oh, this is right. This is my favourite quote at the moment um, by a lady called Laura McCowan, who is somebody I'd highly recommend that um, people follow. Um, the, and, and this relates to, you know, addiction of any kind. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Boom. That was that was a mic, mic drop moment. That's a mic drop moment. David. Responsibility, responsibility. Okay, cool. Two things. So how's it improved my work? Um, I think, as Hannah was talking about, you know, the clarity that you have within yourself is great, but, um, you know, less mood swings, less depression, less time in bed, less hangovers, um, so equals more time. Um, you know, last 18 months, I've started a new business, which was when I stopped drinking, I decided to turn this into a passion of not drinking, and I've developed an alcoholic-free beer company and we're going to launch Australia's first fully fledged non-alcoholic brewery um, which David, is happening. David, give us the website mate give us the website you know you want to go on beneficialbeer.go anyway if you've got if you're listening this far you'll be you'll make contact with me anyway so yeah so look the business so what's improved with workwise you know staff and my business partner especially have just gone like Samantha said to me I'm 90% better than I was right we had, I spoke to my old accountant last year. I spoke to my old accountant yesterday who'd worked for us for, us for two years. We had a giggle because Eric has just done 10 years. Um, and, and Domi goes, yeah, I've heard. You know, if, if you'd stopped drinking back then, I'd still be with you, right? Um, so I think, it's, I, think that, I think what's helped me is the no alcohols helped the mood swings, got rid of the mood swings, got rid of the depression. I've got clarity. I'm, I'm focused. I've got energy. I'm not sending staff silly emails at all times of night. Um, I'm just really professional now, which is sad to say it's taken me this, this long. Um, but I look back and think, what could I have done if I was sober from day one, right? But then I look back and think, what would I have got here if I wasn't sober? Like, you know, when I first started in recruitment, it was with Parker Bridge in 1999 and we were, I was hung over every day, but I was powering through, we were closing deals. We built that business to 33 employees in 12 months. And that was on the back of, 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 of you know, hungover induced alcohol days of just punching the phones and just doing all the energy right i don't know whether i could have done that sober right i'm not sure anyway i'll leave you with one message and the message i'd leave everyone with would be that i'm just here to help anyone that needs to have a conversation um i think that's been really powerful for me is that people that have been sober before me have always have said that and have been around for me so that's the message i would leave david this is so much fun <laughs> Um, I feel like I want to do this every week. Um, you know, I think for me, not drinking has helped my career because somebody mentioned before, I think Hannah mentioned before, the roller coaster of recruitment. You know, recruitment is very up and down. You're dealing with people who are very highly emotional. Um, and if you're also um, suffering the effects of alcohol, you're not, you're not being the best for them you're not being the best for your candidates or your clients but you're also not being the best for yourself and I think that what's helped me is that I know that every single day I will wake up without a hangover I will just get on with my job and you know and do it and do it the best of my ability I, I wish I could say that it, it meant that I now don't have mood swings but anybody who knows me knows that I'm a moody bugger so um but they are at least now um less aggressive than they were when I when I, when I drank so yeah, I think it's yeah. just if you want to take control of your career if you're ambitious and you want to be competitive there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that clarity of judgment and thought 
um, that you get from being sober is just amazing. Mm. Um, the, the message I would give to people is that it's your own journey. Like it's not, you can't compare your experience with alcohol and your journey with alcohol to anybody else's. It's completely individual. Um, and you don't have to say to yourself at the very beginning that you might not ever drink again, because that's a huge hurdle to overcome. And it was often my downfall when I tried to give up alcohol before, was I felt like I didn't want to commit to, to being sober forever. Um, but if it's for you to be sober forever, you'll find out in 10, 20, 30 years time. If just by giving up alcohol for six months, it helps you and makes you feel better, then give that a go. But you know, if you're already listening to this podcast and you've got this far, you already know that you pretty much have a relationship with alcohol that's probably not great. And therefore there are six people, seven people here who are happy to receive a call from you if you need help. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so well said, Graham. Um, yeah, my career, I just stopped hanging around in shitty companies. You know, there's a lot of shitty recruitment companies with arseholes in it. And, you know, my boundaries got much healthier when I got sober. I just didn't want to deal with those dickheads. Sorry, but that's, and so, you know, but I love my clients and I love my candidates and I now have the freedom and confidence to be the recruiter that I really wanted to be, which yeah, I did benefit from, you know, working with someone like Greg Savage and being tutored and, you know, the real routine of like a haze and things like that. You kind of got to go through that. And maybe that's why people drink because my God, that stuff is brutal sometimes, isn't it? Going through those places. So, you know, now I've kind of done my apprenticeship for that. I get to, yeah, just do what I want. And I make a, a bloody lot more money that ends up in my pocket, can I just say. And you make those choices because you're smarter and you're switched on and you've got the confidence because you're not drinking. My bit of advice for anybody is, like, just know that you do not have to do this alone. Like you say, there's seven of us here. There's so many more of us out there and we will welcome you with open arms, whether it's a text, an email, a LinkedIn message. Please don't do it on your own, whether it's through an app or whatever. There's just so many people who want to you know, show you the path to a much, much happier life, whether it's in recruitment or just in general. Yeah, you don't need to do it on your own. Thanks, Kirsty. Ray? Um, okay, so I just turned 33 and in my heart and mind I feel like I'm 32 because the last year of my drinking was just such a waste of time career-wise um, not drinking financially I've just bought my second investment property and I went thanks and I went into recruitment I guess I was in recruitment five years but ultimately I knew I wanted to move into people and culture um, I didn't know how to get there. I was in advertising, but I knew I loved people and I knew I wanted to eventually move in that way. And since getting sober, I've now transitioned into a senior leadership role in people and culture internally, um, which I hand on heart would not have had the courage, confidence or the professionalism to do had I have been drinking. Um, a message to those who are thinking about stopping or changing their relationship with alcohol, I guess no matter how good that first drink of the day tastes and no matter how much you want it, it doesn't even compare to how good living a sober, free life 
feels. Mm, well said. You have another choice. Mm. Yeah, the other side's amazing, right? Mm. I'm so proud of you, Bree. I'm so, so proud of you. Yeah, Hannah was the mentor, by the way. Call Hannah. She's great. Well done, Hannah. Some great advice, guys. Um, gosh, uh, look, um, I'm going to kind of put it, throw it out there, I guess. I'm not so sure that if, um, if I drank, my life wouldn't be better or my career wouldn't be rosier or better. Who knows? You know, I could have... Uh, I could have landed on a multi-million dollar deal at the pub, right? And I don't know because I wasn't there at the pub. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know. But look, I will say, you know, what, what does alcohol do to you? It numbs you. Uh, and we're in a people business. Um, and we need to, I, I can't remember who it was, someone before me said that we need to be at our best um, in order to be, you know, to help people be their best as well. And, you know, our, the, the dynamic of what we do is that we're coaching people through their lives, you know, and they, they put a lot of trust in us. And um, we can't, you know, we, you know, we can't do that if we're not performing at our best. And life's, you know, kind of, it's hard to extract career from life in general. Life's about discovery. And, and if you're drunk, it's like going through life with, with, uh, with blindfolds on, isn't it? So, um, you know, why would you want to do that? And, you know, I guess the, another dynamic that's important to note is that unless you've been sober your whole life, you've gone through a transition from drinking to not drinking. Uh, and there's an important lesson in there because anytime there's change, there's 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 goal. There's 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 so many lessons as we you know we've we've all talked about that we've learned, and those lessons are valuable. Uh, we know we know what it's like to be drunk. We know what it's like not to be drunk. We know what it's like to perform when we're drinking or not drinking. So, uh, and we know what that 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 process of change is like, and and that's valuable. And you know, especially in what we do, the more we know, the more experiences we have in life the more we can, the, the more use we are to other people um, in, in what we do. Um, so, yeah, I, I look, I, you know, I, I think it, it helps me that I'm not, I'm not numbed um, and I don't feel the pressure. And, you know, I, I feel, you know, that there's this freedom. I, you know, you, you want to feel free of any societal pressure. You want to feel like you're doing something that's true to you, that's authentic to you. And when you feel liberated like that, the sky's the limit you know you can be exactly who you want to be how you want to be you want to show up in the world exactly how you want to show up um and i guess in that is the message i would give to to, to anyone who's listening is show up how you want to show up if you know don't be kind to yourself don't put any pressure on yourself you know as, as david said it, 19 years ago wasn't the right time for him the time for him was when it happened so it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but it will happen. Just, you know, follow your light again. <laughs> Thank you. Amazing, guys. Thank you so much. I can, I, can say, I, can say, I can say hand on heart, that went way better than I expected. I was, I was, I was so excited about this. And, uh, and, uh, and it, and it, <laughs> what do you think we're going to be car crash, did you? Yeah. Yeah. So, a sober car crash. I wouldn't have my turn of drunk, you know, that would have been, that would have been a disaster. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. Um, but the, the two things that came out of this that I wasn't expecting, which is wonderful, is the collective offer of advice that, uh, you know, quite a few of you have extended to anybody who heard. That's, that's lovely. And I think that comes from a place of pride, right? Everybody's really mm. proud of 
sobriety, teetotalism, being on the wagon, whatever it is. Everybody's proud of it. Everybody's passionate about it because we know we know how valuable it is. And you just want to share it, right? You just want to pass it on. And that's, uh, so that's lovely. That's something that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take away. And then the other part is the tips and tricks. There's a, such a wide variety of, of tools that have been utilized in everybody's uh, journey. So let's, again, let's, let's get them, let's get them a shot from the rooftops. Um, I haven't got anything profound or deep to end with other than thanking you sincerely from the bottom of my heart for being involved. I've, I've really enjoyed it and I hope, well, I don't hope, I know it will resonate with somebody out there, even if it's just one, that old cliche, even if it's just one person, we've done a good thing. Correct. Well done for you as well. Awesome. well Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Bye. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks, Brianna. Graham, Sid. Bye. 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 Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for listening to that special episode of Recruitment Journeys. Bit of a different outro uh, on this episode, I guess. I suppose I just wanted to say that if you listened to that podcast and any of that resonated, any of it seemed familiar, and you are in fact reflecting and having a, having a bit of a think about your own relationship with alcohol, then um, as was hopefully apparent in the podcast, you do not need to go through this alone. If you are in the recruitment industry and, um, yeah, just just questioning your relationship with alcohol, there are people who would love to help, myself included. Um, but there are six people, six other people on this podcast who will all happily um, lend a, a shoulder for you to, to lean on, cry on and whinge on if you want to. But in addition to that, I'm going to include uh, and and basically list all of the tips and advice and you know, podcasts and uh, apps and books that all of the people in this podcast used to help them achieve their sobriety. Um, and I'll include it on the LinkedIn posts um, and hopefully try and include them on the actual podcast listing itself so you can get access to it. If you need to talk about anything in this podcast, my number is 0432 you can call me without judgment in complete confidentiality. Uh, but um, I hope if any of this resonated and seemed familiar, I hope you're okay. And do not hesitate to reach out. Take care.